Well, good morning, Heights family. Sure good to see everybody here today. Good to have those of you joining us by live stream. Why don't we uh, go to the Lord and have a word of prayer, okay? Oh, Heavenly Father, we come before you in this time. And Lord, as we sing it this time of year, oh, come let us adore you. And Lord, I pray that's what you have seen in this time, in this hour, us adoring you. Lord, we're going to enter a week. It's going to be uh, it's going to be loud. It's going to be fast. It's going to be hectic. It's going to be crowded. None of those things are very conducive to us adoring our Savior. Lord, I pray you'd help us to look out into our week and kind of discipline ourselves for those times, those places where we'll we'll be still, and we'll be quiet, and we'll focus on you, and we will adore you. Lord, may we be mindful of those things, those places in our life that, that do not adore you. Our involvement, our activity, our words are such that they, they don't show that, that we adore you the way we want. Lord, I would pray that the, maybe next weekend, the next time we sing this song, Oh, come let us adore him. We have, we have lived a week in which we have done just that. Oh, Lord, may we this week desire, adore more than anything else your presence. And may we respond to that presence in a way that is right and appropriate and and good. Lord, again, fast, busy, hectic week, we need your help in doing that. But we do want to adore you. Lord, I pray that during this hour right here, that that our heart and our mind is such that you see us, you enjoy us adoring you now. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, it is the week, isn't it? It's here now, the most wonderful week of the year. We have been hoping, we've been anticipating, and and this week kind of, I think it reaches its fever pitch of anticipation, doesn't it? What What are you looking forward to this week? Is it is it Cookies and treats aplenty. The fudge and pralines are filling up in our house. That's what Karen made yesterday. We'll see what today holds. Maybe you're looking forward to getting on a plane, getting in a car, heading to grandma's house. Maybe you're looking forward to the perfect gift that you'll get right after you return the less than perfect gift you actually got. Maybe you're just looking forward to a nap. I bet somebody in here thinking, I just like, like to have a piece of still and quiet, right? It, we're, we're all looking forward to something. It is a, it is a week, a great week of anticipation. We're, we're continuing today our series, Stolen Holiday, Stolen Christmas, Trading Outrage for Opportunity. And, uh, you know, when I think about that line, you know what, you know what outrages me? And that's a, I don't know about y'all, that's a difficult word to use. Outrage is really heavy and tense, isn't it? You kind of expect to see somebody like red-faced, you know, veins bulging. I, I don't know if that's quite where I am, but it's in the title, so I'll use it. You know what, what outrages me is, is that we do live kind of in a, in a culture now, in a, in a country where it seems like more and more the smallest of ideas... Uh, the, the smallest of people are able to direct the entire culture, are, are able to direct the government. You know, for instance, we're kind of led to believe today, right, that, that America, the whole thing, 
That America is, is offended, abused, hurt by the word Christmas. And, and that America, the whole thing, is just in a state of crisis and uproar in the, in the church-state relationship because there's these nativity scenes all over the place. And you know what? That's not true. <laughs> America is not in an uproar. America is, is not offended. It's, it's individuals. It's just individuals here and there. Now, you know, here's a tricky thing to talk about in America and the American way because I think it's one of those places where the very best thing can also maybe be not such a good thing. Because truly one of the very unique and special things about America, what, what distinguishes us in history, what distinguishes us in, from other countries, is in fact uh, the idea that, that a minority religion, a, a, a minority race, a, a minority idea has rights, can be protected. And, and that's a good thing because any one of us can end up in one or more of those people groups, one or more of, of those ideas. And so it's good that that can be protected. But then I don't, you know, I don't know what the tipping point is because it, it, it seems like now that we're at a place where one or two percent, and I think when it comes to the issue of Christmas, I think one or two percent is being generous. I, I think that one or two percent can stop the whole thing. One or two percent can, can strip the 98 percent from that dreaded word in our schools, in our malls, in our government, the word Christmas. And that, that doesn't seem right either, does it? That's the kind of thing you start thinking about. You, you can get angry. You can get, you can get outraged. You know, it's, it's interesting. I mean, for over 200 years, America wished each other Merry Christmas and we had nativity scenes that, that dotted the landscape from the Atlantic to the Pacific. And mostly during that time, we pretty much built a, a great nation, didn't we? Mostly during all that, we, we built a nation that, that the whole world wanted to come to. But I guess now we're to understand that the word Christmas is abusive. That, that, that the word Christmas hurts. I don't know, that's a bit of a head scratcher, isn't it? And, and maybe you get beyond scratching and you, and you get a little bit outraged. Hey, wait a minute. That's not right. And, you know, I, I know in that kind of area for me, I'm, I'm grateful that there are organizations, there are ministries that, that do kind of keep Christian rights, Christian values before the courts and before our legislatures. I, I'm grateful for those and I, and I support those. And so there is kind of the reality of that outrage out there. But having said that, boy, outrage is a tricky animal. That is, that is a tricky animal to control. And, and even if you or I believe that our, our outrage is justified, I'm not saying it is. I'm saying even if we believe that it's justified, it's still, if we're not careful, it can divert our attention from some of the most important things. It can keep us from doing the thing God has left us here to do. Outrage. Call it justified. Call it for God. It can keep you from doing the thing God's put you here to do. And that is to share the gospel. You know, you and I may live in a culture where a lot of people don't uh, know the reason for the season, don't honor the reason for the season. But even with that being the case, you and I have a lot in common with culture at this time of year. 
And that's what this series has been about, is kind of exploring some of those commonalities, because commonalities are bridges. Commonalities are, are a bridge that you and I can cross into a person's life in a, in a non-offensive way. In a way in which we just share a story about something we both share in common. And boy, something that is very common this whole season and certainly this week ahead is anticipation. Everybody's feeling that emotion, that, that, that feeling of anticipation. You know what you're going to hear a lot of this week is sentences that begin with, I can't wait and I'm looking forward to, Right? I can't wait to get on the plane. I can't wait for this family tradition. I can't wait for the family to be all together. Oh, I'm looking forward to the gifts. Maybe you're somebody who's saying, I can't wait till the whole thing's over. That's still anticipation. (laughs) You may be wanting Christmas to be over as fast as it can. It's still anticipation. And you know, there's something about this time of year where we'll talk about that. We'll we'll share it with strangers standing in line at the mall. We'll we'll share it in the coffee break room. Boy, I'm looking forward to this. I can't wait. And, And of course, we'll share it with those we love. So when you and I hear somebody begin a sentence with, I can't wait for, I'm looking forward to, that's our bridge, right? And now we get to cross it and we get to tell a story. Now that's what this series has been about. And and my goal today, I'm up here ranting and raving for, for quite a while, but all I'm really trying to do is deliver a four or five minute story and it's time for that story. Are you ready? Okay, that's what we're doing with each one of these messages is we're just trying to grab that commonality that we have with everybody in the culture, whatever they think about Christmas, and use that as an opportunity to do what we're here to do on this earth, to do the most important thing we can do during this season, and that's to tell the true story. So you're ready, you're standing in line, you're at the coffee break room, and somebody says, I'm looking forward to, I can't wait, and you can respond this way. Man, I tell you what, I'm anticipating a lot this season too. You know, there's something about Christmas, isn't it? We just have all these hopes and dreams. I, I think anticipation just drives the whole thing. Which shouldn't be that surprising because I don't know if you know, but the very first Christmas, the, the, the true story of Christmas, it's all about anticipation. God had made a promise to his people that he was going to send a Messiah. A Messiah is like, I don't know, answer to everything. The Messiah is somebody who solves mankind's problems, who brings real life and meaning and and joy to people. So God had promised this Messiah and his people began to anticipate, look forward to, wait for that Messiah. And boy, did they wait. I mean like hundreds of years, even thousands of years. Can you imagine that? I wait for 10 minutes and I'm leaving. I wait for 10 minutes and I think I've been wronged. How in the world do a people wait for something for thousands of years? Well, God obviously knows our temptation to not want to wait that long. And and so we fueled that that anticipation with things we call prophecies. Prophecies just like telling the future. And and these prophecies do a couple of things. One, they kind of kept hope alive. They, they, They kept the anticipation out there. But the other thing that these prophecies do is they help us identify. They help us prove who that Messiah is. I mean, if you think about it, can't anybody say, I'm the Messiah? Because people have all throughout history. 
Can't any group of people say, ours is the God, ours is the Messiah? Well, sure, anybody can say that. Any group can say that. So how do we know? Well, these prophecies are a way of, well, really building evidence about who the real God, the real Messiah is. And God gave a lot of those prophecies around his Messiah. You, you hear and sing and, and, and read about a lot of them right here at Christmas. You know, one of the prophecies about the Messiah is, is that he would be born in Bethlehem. Micah 5.2, written over 700 years before Jesus was born, said that out of Bethlehem a ruler would come from the ancient of days. Boy, that's kind of strange phraseology. What it's basically saying is in Bethlehem, someone's going to be born and that birth isn't their beginning. It, it actually comes from eternity. And so when we read the Christmas story, guess where Jesus is born? Oh, little town of Bethlehem. Yeah, you don't have to actually sing it to him. <laughs> You know, another prophecy you might be familiar with is it was prophesied that out of the family line of David would the, would the Messiah come. That's Jeremiah 23, 5, 500 years before Jesus was born. And when we open up the first page of the Christmas story, there it is in Matthew chapter 1, a genealogy, Jesus coming out of the family line of David. And, and not, not all, uh, I mean, another really special one uh, a little different from the first two, Isaiah seven fourteen. Over 700 years before Jesus was born, it was said that he would be born of a virgin. And you know, that's exactly what was reported about Jesus. Now, I don't know where you are on the miraculous. I don't know where you are on the supernatural. That, that may or may not be something you believe. But you know what? Even if at this moment right now you don't believe in that, I would still say there's evidence there. Because basically what that verse is saying is around the Messiah will be the miraculous. Now, whether I buy into it or not, the fact is around Jesus was these stories of the miraculous. And you know, the prophecies aren't just about his, his birth. They go on to describe his life and, and even his death. In Psalm 22, oh, over 900 years before Jesus would be put on the cross, it was prophesied that his hands and feet would be pierced. That none of his bones would be broken. And that they would gamble for his clothing at his death. And do you know every single one of those things happened just like that. As a matter of fact, you know what's interesting about that, that, that prophecy that none of his bones would be broken? It is when the Romans crucified people, they almost always broke their legs. That, that's actually what hastened the process of them dying on the cross. But when they came to Jesus... They saw he was dead and they didn't break his legs, fulfilling the prophecy. Now, Jesus wasn't the, uh, the only person born in Bethlehem. But you know, a little interesting note, Bethlehem is like a super small village back then, a little shepherd village. You, would, you wouldn't call it a town, you wouldn't call it a, a city, it was just a little village. So actually, very few people were born in Bethlehem. But yeah, Jesus wasn't the only one. Jesus wasn't the only one who had his hands and, and feet pierced. You know, the Romans, they crucified tens of thousands of Jews. Jesus wouldn't have been the only person born in the family line of David. But think of all the family lines in the world. Think of all the genealogies. And one family was identified, one family line. Now, Jesus wouldn't have been the only one who could have been a fulfillment of any of these prophecies but Jesus is the only one who fulfilled all of them.
I, I just told you four. Those four are representative of 62 major prophecies, just like the ones I told you, very specifically giving detail about how we could identify and know that's the Messiah. You know, some mathematicians actually several times over the years have gotten together and tried to figure out what's the probability of, of, of a person just randomly fulfilling all of these prophecies. And you know, they came up with a probability of 1 times 10 to the 23rd power. You know, you know what that means? That means there's one chance in 10 with 23 zeros behind it. In, in other words, it's impossible. There's, there's no possible way a person is born and just randomly lands in all of these. And yet Jesus landed in every single one and fulfilled it specifically. You know, some of these he might have been able to, oh, I need to fulfill that. I need to run over here and do this. But he couldn't control where he was born. He couldn't control the family line he was born into. He couldn't control how the Romans would kill him or what they would do while he was dying. He couldn't control any of that. Now, you know what all these prophecies are? Is they're, they're really strong evidence of who he is. And I'll tell you, when I look at all this, it really says to me, I think it would say to all of us, there's really something special about the Christ of Christmas that we should want to get to know and, and want to get to understand. And, and boy, even more exciting than that is the idea that, hey, God not only promised the first coming of Jesus, he also promised a second coming. And all those prophecies that were perfectly fulfilled with the first coming would give us a lot of confidence that all those prophecies about the second coming even after thousands of years, are also going to be perfectly fulfilled. You know, there's a, a lot of evidence, verifiable evidence, that Jesus is actually God. A God that loves you and loves me. A God that came into this world to rescue you and me from sin and death and hell. Boy, I tell you what I can't wait for. I can't wait till he returns again. And there's your story. Go home. <laughs> That's it. You just lay that story there. Remember, like I said last time, you don't have to fight about that story. You don't have to argue it, defend it. You, you, know, you lay the story out there. They open the door. We're talking about what we're anticipating, what we're looking forward to. And you, you tell a story of what you're anticipating. What they do with that is between them and God, right? And so you just lay it out there. Now, like last time, you just heard me ramble through that. And you're thinking, I, I don't know that I could go through that whole story by Tuesday. You know, when I'm going to be at the mall or when I'm going to be in the coffee room at work. Well, first of all, that story is a lot simpler than you might think it is. You actually could delete all of my rambling leading up to the four prophecies. And you could delete the things after those four prophecies. The story you're telling is just those four prophecies. You, you really can kind of create your own dialogue and how you lead into that and your own dialogue coming out of that. You just need to remember four verses, the years till Jesus' birth and, and some element of what those four verses, those four prophecies said and you've got the story. I mean, you're, you're ready to go. Now, like last time, we'll make that available to you. You can go online 
uh, on our church website, and uh, you can listen to the sermon there over and over until you kind of get it. You can go get our church app and uh, want to explain something more about that. You go to any, any app store, download our app, the Heights Baptist Church, and a uh, little black box with our logo in the middle of it. Not only can you go back and listen to the sermon, but all the notes you see on the screen are also in that app. You can, I know everybody's taking pictures. I can't remember that. You know, it's always there in the app. Uh, that, that's true for every Sunday, not, not just for today and, and this message. So the notes that are, that are come with the, each message are in that app also. I'll put it on our church Facebook. If you want to get a written form, I'll put it on my Facebook, Randall T. Hahn. If you don't if we're not friends, you can friend me. You can get that. You can share it to your Facebook page. You'll have it there to share with others, there to read and get familiar with. But uh, folks, there's a real opportunity here. We're hitting the biggest week of anticipation that there is the whole year for, for our community, for our, for our culture. Let's, boy, let's get that. Let's be ready to use it and to share it, right? Because folks, America, as a matter of fact, I find that a lot of Christians are not aware of the incredible, provable evidence there is for our faith. And and what a time, what an easy, non-confrontational, non-offensive way to share some of that evidence in, in three, four, five minutes with somebody you love down to a total stranger. That's an opportunity Boy, let's not miss it because we're outraged. Let's not miss it because somebody's not greeting us the way we want to be greeted or calling a tree what we think it ought to be called. Listen, America needs our witness so much more than they need our wrath. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I would pray that you would bring somebody in our path in the next seven days that we can share that story with. Now, Lord, as I pray that, as I pray that, Lord, I know there's not a single week that has gone by in 2016 that you didn't bring somebody into our path that we could have talked with about you. But Lord, we're, we're busy. We're not focused. We're not thinking. We're not praying. We're selfish. We're scared. And so the truth is, Lord, we enter a lot of weeks never at all thinking anything about sharing the story of you, who you are, what you mean to us. Oh, Lord, make us sensitive to it this week. It's such a great opportunity in front of us. No more profound opportunity to touch, to shape, and to affect the the soul of this nation that we love than with the gospel story of Jesus Christ. God, open our eyes to what's going on around us. Let us hear and see what, what people are saying around us. And God, open that door. Prepare their hearts to hear it. And may we share a story. It's in Jesus' name we've asked this. Amen. Amen. Hey, listen, maybe you're here today and that's kind of new to you, that there's actually evidence for our hope. Evidence, historical, verifiable evidence for our faith. 
Maybe you're right now, maybe for the very first time, kind of dealing with the fact, hey, is God real? God really did this? God loves me? Man, God so much wants to have a relationship with you, and that's why he entered this world, so that you could know him, be forgiven of your sins, have the security of eternal life with God. Man, if you're here today and you want to receive God's gift for you, you want to begin to receive and open that gift, understand all that's in that gift, I want to encourage you, don't leave here today without the gift in tow, because that's what God has for you. In a moment when we conclude the service, right out in the center of our concourse, there's a, a, a desk out there, there's some folks standing behind it. You can just walk out there and say, hey, I'd like to talk to somebody about a relationship with Christ. People do that every Sunday. As a matter of fact, in the last hour, one gentleman came up to me and said, I, I, I need to do this. I'd never really been in church, never really cared much for church in the last hour. About 45 minutes ago, walked out there and said, I... I need to do that. So I know it can seem a little bit odd, a little bit strange. That's a, that's a personal question. That's a, you know, you might feel like, hey, this is pretty private. But, but if you're open, we're sure open to talk with you about it. We're sure open to be able to answer your questions and, and pray with you about how this can happen in your life today. Maybe you've got questions about following the Lord in baptism like we saw this morning. Or, or uh, maybe you've got questions about becoming a member here at the Heights. We'd love to be able to answer those questions for you and help you. That desk right out there in the center, we're waiting for you. If this is your first time here, I imagine we've got people starting to arrive in town as some of our people are going out of town. Uh, if this is your first time here, we're so grateful. You'd come and worship with us, make us a part of your Christmas season. We've got a gift for you. Go to that same desk, tell them this is your first time here, and they'll give that gift. And I'll admit there's a little bit of information about our church in there uh, that we would love for you to have. So I sure hope you'll go by and uh, get that. Listen, a couple announcements before we go. One of them is not a fun announcement. It's a little bit of a sad announcement. It's a good thing, but a sad thing. That is one of our staff, James Ford, uh, is going to be moving to a new ministry in the new year. I don't think that's a shock to probably many of us. We probably kind of anticipated uh, a a new opportunity for him. So he's going to be here till January 15th. And uh, I want to encourage you to be here January 1st, at New Year's Day, obviously, because uh, he's going to use the sermon time to share a little bit of that story. And you might be thinking, well, why do I want to go to church and, and, and hear a story? Well, in that story, he's going to be talking about things like understanding God's will, how you step out and follow God in his will, how you make godly decisions. And so when you kind of think about a new year, that's what those kinds of things are in front of a lot of us. So I I really think that as James shares his story, uh, there'll be something for all of us here that day. I'm looking forward to hearing him share that. We've been praying and talking about this for a little while now. And uh, so that'll happen January 15th, January 1st. He'll share a little bit about that. Uh, You're more than welcome to go out there and bombard him, make him feel bad about what he's doing. And, uh, you know, James has been on our staff for about five years now. I think a couple months would have been five years, but I know some of you know James actually grew up in this church. I think he's been here since about sixth grade. So, you know, on one hand, it's kind of sad. On another hand, it's kind of exciting to think, hey, somebody that's really a part of our family, really has our DNA, uh, gets to carry that out and, and multiply it in the world. So uh, you be in prayer for him and, and, and don't express your anger. Express your love uh, for what James is going to be doing doing. Uh, One other announcement next week, just so that you're clear on what's happening. We have two Christmas Eve services, 315, 
five o'clock. They're about 45, 50 minutes long. Uh, that, it's, it's a wonderful service, one of our favorite services of the year. Then Sunday morning, Christmas morning, at 10 o'clock will be the same service. So unless you just want to come to it twice, which you are more than welcome to do, uh, the service on Christmas morning is the same as the, the one on Christmas Eve. So come dressed as you are, well, unless you're in your pajamas. Uh, come dressed as you are. It's informal. It's very family-oriented and uh, just a, a good time of worship and celebration. So 3.15 and 5 on Christmas Eve. 10 o'clock on Christmas morning, we'll have a great celebration. Thank you all so much for being here. Hey, seriously, no, no kidding. Let's go tell the story. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a Merry Christmas.